Broadcasting live from the North Fulton Business Radio X studio, it's time for To Your Health with Dr. Jim Morrow. To Your Health is brought to you by Morrow Family Medicine, an award-winning primary care practice, which brings the care back to health care. Hello and welcome back to To Your Health. I appreciate everyone tuning in, no matter where you might be or when it might be. I do love the fact that you can listen to these podcasts whenever you might choose is probably at a, a time when you're the most bored in your entire life. And hopefully that'll turn this into a useful time for you. And you'll learn a little something and maybe even have a question that you'll want to send us. And I'll tell you how to do that in a minute. So I am Jim Morrow. I'm a family doctor here in North Georgia. I'm with Village Medical and coming in Milton, Georgia, where we are bringing care back to health care. Um, I'm in my office studio, which frankly is a wreck today. My desk, you can't see hardly any wood on top of my desk. And my producer, John Ray, who got me into doing this, is in his fancy studio at the bank. How are you, John? I'm good. I'm good. How are you today, other than being hotter than Hades? I am burning <laughs> up. <laughs> Ironically enough, with what we're going to talk about today, it must be 85 degrees in this office, and I'm just... You know, fat men sweat, John, and I, I, I am that, and I am sweating, and I don't like it. So I, I, I know think my partner. I know about that. <laughs> yeah, no, you don't. I think my partner, Doctor Kendrick, can turn the air up on his end of the building, which of course controls my end of the building. Mm-hmm. And don't get me started on that whole thing because oh. that drives me crazy. But it's been a a good week so far. Uh, I don't have COVID. I'm happy about that. I'm hoping to make it through the week without getting COVID. Um, but I do want to talk a little bit about things other than my topic today before we get into that. And they are a little bit varied. Uh, the first one is polio. There's been a case of polio in New York State. Unfortunately, this is an unvaccinated child who uh, developed polio and is now paralyzed and will be paralyzed because you can't go back on that. Um, like I said, unvaccinated, and they studied the virus, and it is one of the viruses that came from the oral polio vaccine that we used to give in this country and don't anymore. We give a shot now. It's an inactivated polio vaccine. But the other was the oral polio, and it has some live virus in it, and some people actually did get polio. That's why we don't give it, but it's given in other parts of the world, and apparently this patient came in contact with someone who had been given that and they were unvaccinated and they developed polio. So if you're a parent, a new parent, especially if you have young children, get them vaccinated. Don't mess around with that. I talked, might've been last time, John, about monkeypox because there's always something. Yep. This time it's Mm monkeypox. Pretty soon it's going to be locusts and <laughs> whatever else comes after that. I don't remember. Right. Frogs and whatnot. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Frogs I'm not looking forward to. But monkeypox, now we have about 2,000 cases that have been reported in the United States. Half or more of them are in New York State. And and probably one of the reasons for that is that's where they're doing most of the testing. You don't see a lot of testing being done in other places. If you don't test for it, you're not going to find it. So I mentioned in the podcast about monkeypox that it's found mostly in men who have sex with men, but that's also the population that gets tested more often. So they're seeing the doctor and they get tested. So that's where you see the disease, but 
It's also been found in, in heterosexual women, and it's been found in all other populations. It's just those are not being tested as much. The transmission of monkeypox is person to person. It takes some contact, but not a tremendous amount. And they're also finding now that it can be passed in respiratory secretions with prolonged contact, like kissing. And the person I heard talking about this said that even cuddling can be a problem. So that's just depressing. If you ask me, you can't even cuddle now. They also found that it could be passed through the placenta to an unborn child. And that's not good because that's something that an unborn child certainly does not need, can lead to stillbirth. So if, uh, if you follow me on Facebook, and I doubt that a lot of you do, which I certainly can't blame you, <clears throat> um, you know that this past weekend I did a landscaping project, which is a little bit unlike me. I'm all about finding somebody to do a landscaping project. But in Blue Ridge, Georgia, there's not a lot of people. So I had a guy come and put in some flagstone steps in my backyard, and I thought he was going to make it look pretty, but all he did was put in steps and leave. So I ended up having to do a lot of this myself and it made me think about, and that truth be told, it made Peggy think about that. I should do a podcast on heat exhaustion and heat stroke <laughs> because I am here to tell you that project damn near killed me. I thought, Oh my gosh, it was hot as blazes and I'm not used to lugging stuff around like that and digging holes and everything else and big bags of rock and big stone. And it was a mess. And, and, and I'm lucky to be here today to be doing this podcast, but I think heat exhaustion and heat stroke is a very good topic, especially for this time of year when you live in, uh, Hades, Georgia, which <laughs> I think is exactly where we are anymore is Hades, Georgia. It is just crazy hot. So you hear people talk about heat exhaustion, heat stroke, that kind of thing. So what are these things? Well, heat exhaustion is what happens very simply when your body gets too hot. That's, that's heat exhaustion. If you don't treat heat exhaustion, it can lead to heat stroke. And this happens when your internal temperature reaches about 104 degrees. Now, a lot of people have had a temperature of 104 degrees, and that's different because when you have a fever from an illness, your body can reach that, but it doesn't do the kind of damage that this can do because typically when you're working and developing heat stroke or heat exhaustion, your temperature goes up very quickly. And if your temperature goes up very quickly, it could cause a lot more trouble than if it goes up slowly. So heat stroke is much more serious than heat exhaustion. It can cause shock. It can, can cause organ failure, particularly kidney failure. It can cause liver trouble. It can cause brain damage. And brain damage is something that you don't come back from. It's like polio. Once you're paralyzed, you're paralyzed. And once you have brain damage, you pretty much have brain damage. And extreme cases, heat stroke can kill you. And everybody knows that, I think. Everybody knows that's a possibility. But it's not something that you hear about a lot because in modern day, we have a lot of ways of trying to avoid that. And people are typically smarter than I was this weekend, and they're doing better than, than I did. Although i got to say, I was drinking constantly. She had the water coming out there every time you turn around. So the symptoms of heat exhaustion and heat strokes, starting with heat exhaustion, are things like muscle cramps, weakness, confusion, dizziness. And dizziness is easy to understand, I think, because if you get that hot, your blood vessels all dilate to try to get rid of the heat. When that happens, your blood pressure comes down. And when that happens, you get dizzy, especially if you change positions. 
You can have headaches because with the dilated blood vessels, your heart's pounding all this blood straight to your head and you count every heartbeat in your head. You have a fast heartbeat for that same reason. You can have dark colored urine, which most people know indicates you're not drinking enough fluids, or in this case, you're getting rid of too much fluid. So that's another thing. You can even have pale or cold skin. And that's because your body's making an attempt to control your temperature and you can end up with this pale looking and cold skin. And it goes without saying that you have heavy sweating. I saw that in this list of symptoms and I first thought, am I actually going to say that on the podcast? Because that seems to be the most obvious thing I've ever seen in my entire life. But if you do get heat stroke, then in addition to those symptoms, you can have the temperature of 104 or higher, like I said, you can have then flushed or red skin and you stop sweating. So if you see somebody that's in a hot situation, a temperature rich situation, and you're concerned, do they have heat stroke? If they've stopped sweating, that's a cardinal sign because that means that they've basically run out of fluid. They're dehydrated. They've run out of fluid. They can't sweat. And if you can't sweat, you can't control your temperature. And so it just snowballs on itself and it gets worse and worse and worse. So trouble breathing goes with that. And people can faint because of the change in blood vessel size. And then you can have seizures. And typically that's because the temperature goes up too fast. And that's if, if, if you've ever had fever and chills, a seizure is just a chills on steroids. It's your body trying to get rid of heat. And if it's successful, it can really protect you. People think that if you have a seizure, it's a deadly thing. It's not necessarily. It can actually be preventative and protective. So that's important to know. So heat-related illnesses happen when your body can't keep itself, itself cool. As the temperature goes up, your body produces more sweat to help you stay cool. It evaporates on the skin. It changes the temperature, and you're cooler. On hot, humid days, the moisture in the air slows down this process of evaporation, and the sweat can't cool you. And that's why they talk about the heat index and how the heat index is, is such an important thing. The heat index is not the same as the temperature. It measures the air temperature, plus it brings into account the effects of humidity. And a heat index of 90 degrees or higher calls for extreme caution. I think the heat index when I was out working in the yard must have been 150 or 80 or something like that. It just had to be crazy because I'm telling you, it was, it was as hot as I've been in, in memory. If you're not careful and you have prolonged exposure to these kinds of temperatures, you're risking some sort of heat-related malfunction. That's probably the best way to put that because something in your body is not going to work right. If you're around someone and you see that they are displaying symptoms of a heat illness, heat stroke, heat exhaustion, take their temperature. Now, if they're confused, they're going to argue about that. They're going to be a little bit combative potentially, but that's just another sign you need to really do that. And if they have a temperature of 104 or higher, they need to call 911 and get medical care there as soon as you possibly can. This is important. Now, if you are trying to prevent or avoid heat exhaustion, which after the weekend sounds like a fantastic idea to me, there are a lot of things that you can do to prevent that. Now, babies and children and also elderly people, I'm looking at you, John, 
elderly people. <laughs> Thank you. Are more sensitive to heat and require extra care and extra attention. If you're ill or you're obese, I'm not going to say who that relates to because that's a touchy subject with me. Or if you have heart disease, then you're also more prone to heat illness. And people who work outside in a hot setting are obviously more at risk. But at the same time, I'm going to tell you that they may be less likely to get heat illness because they're more accustomed to it. So if you're, if you're used to working in a medical office, don't go out in the backyard when it's 100 degrees outside and try to plant a bunch of plants and carry a bunch of rock and that kind of thing, because it could be dangerous. At least that's what I hear. If it's possible, stay inside. Stay inside. Let somebody else plant that area in the backyard. If you have to go outside, wear lightweight clothing, light colored clothing, loose-fitting clothing, and protect yourself from the sun with a hat or, or some cover so that you're not getting that sun directly down on your head. Sunscreen we talked about in the previous podcast, and I'm not going to get into a lot of that, except you really should be wearing sunscreen, but it really doesn't directly apply to heat illness. Fluids, though. Fluids are the number one thing you can do to try to prevent, protect yourself from heat-related illness. The problem with fluids is people routinely will try to hydrate for today's activity today. And you can't drink water today and have it help you today. If today's Saturday and you're going to do something in the yard, you need to be drinking on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday so that the fluid is in your organs where you need it when you get out there in the sun. I was the team doctor for North Scythe High School for years and years and years and just loved doing it. But we had people dropping like flies every single game from cramps. And the coaches would preach to them about drinking and preach to them about drinking. And if you ask these kids, they would tell you, I've been drinking all day. I've been drinking all day. And that just doesn't cut it. You've got to drink way ahead of time for that fluid to get into your organs and into your tissues where you need it so you don't have these problems. Dehydration and the lack of salt contribute greatly to heat-related illnesses. Now, there are some sports drinks that help to replenish the salt in your body, Powerade, Gatorade, things like that. When I was in high school, they gave people in the football practice field salt tablets to take. And they finally quit doing that because they were taking too many and hurting their kidneys. But salt is important. But drinking water and other fluids every 15 to 20 minutes when you're out there, even if you don't feel thirsty, is important. And one of the best ways to know, and I mentioned this a minute ago, if you're drinking enough fluid is if your urine's clear, you're drinking enough fluid. And if it's yellow or dark, you're not drinking enough fluid. I don't care how much you're drinking. You're not getting enough fluid if your urine's dark. Period. That's all there is to it. You need to limit or avoid caffeine because caffeine makes you lose fluid. That's not a huge problem like we once thought it was, but it's still a big deal, especially in the heat illness arena. And you need to get out there before 10 in the morning or after 6 or 7 o'clock at night. Do not be out there like a podcast host that I know pretty well 
this past weekend at two in the afternoon doing this stuff is stupid. Don't do that. Don't be like me. Be safe. Take a lot of breaks. Get in the shade. Take it easy. Drink more. Now, in some cases, no matter what you do, you might end up with a problem if you're out in the heat. And some medications can make that more likely to be a problem. They can affect the way your body reacts to heat, how much heat you hold in, that kind of thing. And some antibiotics do that. Allergy medicine, the antihistamines, especially the older antihistamines, do that, like Benadryl. Uh, medicines that people take for blood pressure and heart disease and cholesterol can do that. That's things like beta blockers. They can do that. And then some medicines for mood, like antidepressants and antipsychotics, can make you hold on to, to temperature and make this a bigger problem. Diuretics are a problem because they can make you lose salt. And we talked about how important that is. Laxatives can make this happen because they make you lose fluid if you're taking laxatives. Diet pills increase your heart rate, increase the likelihood that you're going to have a problem. And it probably goes without saying, but illegal drugs like cocaine and amphetamines also increase your heart rate, increase your metabolism, make you more likely to have a problem from heat. So these are some things that you need to know about because if you're taking these things and you're planning to do something out there in the heat, maybe it will make you think about getting somebody else to do it or doing it a different time of day or doing it on a day when you've had three days to hydrate and that kind of thing, because that makes a difference. It makes a big difference. This podcast is hosted by Village Medical. Village Medical is a nationwide primary care organization that I joined about a year and a half ago, and I've just been thrilled to death with what it's done for our ability to care for our patients, especially our older patients. If you or a family member are 70 plus and you're a a patient in our practice, I believe you'd be able to vouch for the fact that the care from Village Medical is very different, much more involved, much more intense than what you've had in other practices. Uh, because Village Medical has the staff, they have the desire, and they have the ability to take really good care of people, especially those who have been in the hospital. Uh, we're doing everything we possibly can to prevent readmissions to the hospital because that's something that can be avoided in a lot of cases. And if we can avoid it, we want to do that. So I'm very happy about Village Medical uh, taking over Mara Family Medicine. And I, I would like you to give them a shot if you're looking for a new primary care provider. And lastly, I want to talk about the treatment for heat exhaustion and heat stroke. <clears throat> and obviously, fluid replacement is, is big. But number one, get out of the heat. Get into a cool place. Move into the shade. You know, this doesn't have to be when you're working in the backyard. This can be you sitting at a college football game. Because two years ago, I watched my wife almost have heat exhaustion from sitting in the sun at a Clemson game. And uh, she was absolutely miserable. And we had a friend with us, and she had one of these cloths that you wet and put around your neck, and she did that, and I think it probably saved her. But, you know, getting out away from that, getting back under the stands and getting into some shade makes all the difference. Your blood pressure comes down when this happens, so you want to lie down or lie the person down and elevate their legs. You want to get rid of any tight or extra clothing because they don't need anything that will hold the heat in. 
applying cool towels to the skin like uh, Lorraine did for Peg at that football game. I'm telling you, it made a gigantic difference. Drinking fluids, don't guzzle the fluids, but just drink and drink constantly if you're in that setting. And the sports drinks are good. Half-strength half Gatorade, in my opinion, is one of the best things you can rehydrate with. I'll tell you what you don't need is you do not need liquid IV. Please. The, the best thing you can hydrate with is water. If you're in a situation like this where you're probably losing electrolytes, half-strength Gatorade is great, but you do not need liquid IV. If ever there was a marketing ploy, that's it. And just please don't do that. Don't drink alcohol. It dilates blood vessels and makes you have more problems, makes your heart rate faster, drops your blood pressure. A lot of problems with that. If you're around someone who's having these symptoms and their symptoms don't improve, or if they still have a temperature of 102 or higher after 30 minutes of trying to treat them, call 911. Nobody ever regrets calling 911 but you don't get a chance to go back and call them after the fact. So don't hesitate. If somebody goes into shock, they faint, they have seizures. I don't have to tell you to call 911 for them, but if people are not getting better or if they still have a high temperature after you tried to treat them, call 911. If people do have seizures, you have to watch them to be sure they're breathing. If you have anyone that stops breathing, obviously you start CPR and somebody should be calling 911. This whole thing is completely avoidable. Everything about heat stroke and heat illness really is completely avoidable. So pay attention to how you feel. Pay attention to the environment you and your loved ones are in, people around you. Keep an eye. When you're out there and it's, it's, it's scalding hot like this, pay attention to what's happening to people. And if you see somebody that you think is getting in trouble, I don't care if you know them or not, go over there and ask them if they're okay. Offer them a bottle of water. Try to get them to go somewhere where it's not in the middle of the sun. And you can do somebody an awful lot of good that way. John, that's what I got on heat exhaustion and heat stroke. You know, some a lot of what you've mentioned here, Jim, is common sense. But, Absolutely. But, but, but it's just, you know, all of us need reminders of yeah, good common sense. Is. Right. And as I'm saying all this stuff, doing this podcast, I'm thinking, people know this. People know this. But, you know, if there's one thing there's a sincere shortage of these days, it's common sense. So hopefully this will remind people of what to do in that situation. So how do you know if you're properly hydrated, you know, ahead of time? Other than monitoring urine color or um, how do you, how that's do you, it, really. That's it. Okay. That really is. The only way an individual knows or has to know if they are properly hydrated is the color of their urine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you get this dark golden urine, you're not even close. You know, it should be the palest of yellow or clear. And if it's not, that's a problem. Mm. Gotcha. But that's the only way, really. You know, people at their home and working out in the yard, they can't do all these electrolyte tests and things. They don't know. Sure. sure. And if they could, they'd be scared to death sometimes. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I can definitely, I can definitely see that. Um, well, this is again, sounds like common sense folks, but sometimes that's the thing we forget 
the quickest. Is the, it is. It's the common sense. Yeah. But I just want, I just want to say, John, if Monica wants you to work out in the yard, you really shouldn't do that. Cause it's not safe for a, a man your age. <laughs> okay. So tell I'm, her to call me and I'll explain it to her. I'm just going to tell yeah. her my, my urine color won't let me do it. <laughs> I'm sure there's a line there somewhere, but I'm going to leave it alone. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening everybody. I do appreciate that. And if you would like to suggest topics for the podcast, so we don't have to do one like this again, please send me an email at to your health, MD at gmail.com. And for now that is to your health. Thank you.